cultured friends and welcome to another episode of high culture with low friends i am your host paul wolf holloman and today i have a special guest um mr black parker uh, could not uh, participate this weekend and so i have recruited the help of a very old friend of mine by the name of yo <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what did you do? Change the yeah, change know, my. I want to be like Kanye. The, the artist uh, formerly known as Ken. Yeah, Ken Dotson. Glad to Ken Dotson, who I have known since about 1992 or three, I think, is when while. we first met, and it was and it was with regards to uh, we met on the topic that we're discussing today, which is gaming, specifically role playing gaming not so much video gaming although we might make mentions of it um but really about role-playing gaming because uh, uh ken and i we have uh been geez i have dm'd him in games and he has dm'd me and others in games and uh we we together collectively we've been playing uh rpgs for a, an entire lifetime <laughs> so since the 80s yeah yeah, we're the, we're the old guys in the room. So Parker is uh, thirty eight. I'm fifty five. You're fifty seven. Fifty seven. He's the old man in the room. <laughs> so, uh, as usual, we are going to divide in divide our uh, um, our uh, show today into uh, three different segments. Talk about some you know various things with regards to gaming, and uh, so I, Ken and I were talking about this yesterday when we. We, yesterday was the first time we'd seen each other since before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, uh, getting getting back together, uh, reconnecting, uh, hoping this this whole situation is over soon. Um, but we were talking about this yesterday. Um, when when did you first start playing role playing games? How, how did you get into it, and, and, and why? Got into it uh, on my birthday. Dad took me to something to do and said, what do you want? I was looking around. There's this box with a big old dragon on it. So I said this. (laughs) And it turned out it was Dungeons and Dragons, the blue book edition. The blue book, not the red book with the blue. That's 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 like the the second. That was the second package, wasn't it? uh, I think that's the one after Chainmail. Because Chainmail was those little, uh, what are they, six by ten yeah uh i actually yeah. have a couple of those i don't have chainmail unfortunately but i have blackmore and one other well i, I remember because when i got into you could get there was the red box which was the basic mm-hmm. and then the expert expert there was a green box and there was a black box and and a blue box yeah you had uh basic where you instead of playing a character you played a race right and then expert, they introduced uh, the bard and ranger, maybe. That's Started right. Started doing more class things. And then... Of course, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And then the advanced came out. <clears throat> you mentioned something a minute ago I want to clarify on. Something to do is actually the name of a game shop. Yeah. Um, they used to be here in Louisville. Yeah. And I don't know how far, if they were across the country or not. But for any of you that they are were, listening... Greater Louisville, so they were here in Louisville proper and across the river in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Gotcha. Now, see, I'm from Muncie, Indiana, and 
what we we didn't have i don't think we had any like franchise businesses like that we had more mom and pop shops but and the one in Mency that everybody went to was a place called the wizard's keep it was run by a, a guy named stan and of course you know like i said i mean I, again we're talking about the 80s so but uh, so was it the picture of the dragon is that what drew you into it then? that's what drew me in initially and then reading through it i thought it was kind of cool where you're fighting undead and everything else you know you had goblins and orcs uh, stuff that was actually starting to show up in some fantasy literature. Now, well, let me ask you that. At the age of 13, were you aware of Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien? <laughs> I was actually given three sets of the books over the years and never read a single one. <laughs> but I did read Edgar Rice Burroughs. Right. Uh, uh, John Carter of Mars and Carson of Venus. Right. Um, Stephen King's The Stand. Okay, so you were so you like were that. reading some <clears throat> some heavier stuff at thirteen oh, yeah. than than maybe the, the average thirteen year old at that time. So whatever I can get my hands on. Yeah. And of course, there were the comic books uh, had a big influence too. You know, the early X Men. Superman, Spider-Man, Vault of Horror, Son of Dracula. Oh, wow, all that yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah, it does. It fits in that whole, you, you see the dragon, you know you're talking about fantasy. And so, um, so when, once you got to, once you got to playing, I mean, what was your, my, my thing was always, it was like, this is so cool. And this is how I would explain it to people when I would, because, you know, at, at that time, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that way anymore. I really don't. But at that time, there was sort of a stigma because you and I were both, we were nerds, oh, yeah. nerds and geeks back in the 80s, you know. I remember when I was in high school, there was this thing on the news. Uh, some teenage kids had done something, mm -hmm. I forget exactly what it was, and the media was trying to blame it on Dungeons and Dragons. Right, right. And because it's a bunch of satanic worshipers, because you wanted to get the 666 for your stats. <laughs> And that's what they were basing everything on. What we called the immoral minority. Right, right. Uh, which I think turned into the Republican Party. Right. On. Well, we don't talk politics. <laughs> on this show, we don't talk politics or religion. But, uh, you know, okay. Yeah, yeah, just hit both. Good. All right. Good so, yeah. <laughs> but I, I do remember that, too. There was a lot of controversy at the yeah. time. because, and But the thing is, is when you go back and review um you know, the whole reason why Gary Gygax, who is the original founder of Dungeons & Dragons, he and his friends, the whole reason why they created Dungeons & Dragons is because they wanted to be characters in Lord of the Rings. They were Lord of the Rings fans, and they wanted, you know, the whole reason why there are orcs and elves and stuff in D&D &D oh, is yeah. because of Lord of the Rings. Even in some of Gary's interviews that he did, you know, he gives the credit where the credit's due. Right. And without Tolkien... We it wouldn't, wouldn't have been. hardly anything. Right, right. Because <laughs> he, he influenced so many. Instead of reading Lord of the Rings series, uh, there was a series called, I think it was called The Dark Tower by another writer. Oh, that's a, that's Stephen King. Uh, what, it wasn't that one. It wasn't uh, that no, one. No, this was an uh, uh, old friend of mine, Kevin, who read it also said it's virtually the same as Lord of the Rings. That's not Ursula K. Le Guin, is it? No, it was some guy. Oh, it's okay. like said, this has been... 35, 40 years ago. Sounds really familiar then. Yeah. But 
uh, it was basically you had halflings in it, uh, humans, uh, these wolf-like shadow creatures right. that they were fighting. You know, all kinds. Very, and of course, having seen Lord of the Rings now, there was a lot of stuff that there is a parallel. Right. You even see that even today. Yeah. In some of the writings. I know. I when I first came to it in 1985, I was a senior in high school, and at the time was uh, engaged to my first wife, and um, her brother and I were kind of besties. And um, so we were just bored and looking for something to do. And we went to this, we, I had heard about this place I just mentioned before, Wizard's Keep, that was on campus at Ball State. And so we go into campus, we go to Wizard's Keep, and, um, and we're trying to find something to play. You know, we knew it was a game shop. So we discovered this. So we bought, we, we only had $12 between the two of us. And that's how much the red, basic box cost so we grabbed it we went back to to his house and then we started playing and I, man i was hooked immediately because for me like i started saying a minute ago that what i used to always tell people is it's like getting to be an actor you're getting to be somebody else be a hero or or whatever in a world that's that's different you know the, the this fantasy world and that was the, the key part, you know, because people are like, what's role playing? You know, um, it's, it's basically being somebody else. Act, it's acting is what it is. And if you have enough friends around the table, that can be. And, and not only is it acting, it's improv acting. Oh, yeah. There's no script. You're making that shit up as you go along um, based on the situation that the dungeon master who leads the game is, is giving you. And um, so, yeah, I was hooked. And then from that, I mean, I've I played ever since. And um, when I, um, after my divorce um, and, le and I left Muncie, at, I wasn't sure. Um, I, I came, that's when I came down to Louisville because this is where my parents were at that moment in time. And so the first thing that I found to spend my money once I started working was a game shop and that's how i met every friend that i've had since then because i met our old buddy clark uh wilson there because he worked in that game shop and then he's like oh you gotta you know i think he introduced me to the magic of gathering so talking about your addiction and and um and then you know and then everybody else that i've met since then has been because of that meeting clark and uh and so yeah i mean gaming our uh, rpg gaming for me for, for you know 30 years was that was my social experience that was uh, that was how i how i socialized with with all my friends was was through the gaming and that for me that was kind of the allure that's why i continued to do it because that was an excuse to socialize with the people that i found most interesting so and what what's kept you gaming for so long because i i have a feeling there's a there's another answer here yeah the social aspect of it uh it makes you get out and hang out with people and discuss things you know politics or current events or whatever right it gives you a reason to get together and hang out and have some fun and just unwind but it also i i feel like for guys like you and me 
who are, we're both kind of control freaks, admitted control freaks. Once you have a system, whatever the game system is, you have that ability to create something that, um, that other people get to experience and having that kind of control over, well, world, mm-hmm. that's, um, that can be powerful, <laughs> kind of powerful stuff, you know, for the. Well, you know, as, as a wise man once said, it's good to be the king. <laughs> I believe that was Mel Brooks, wasn't it? Yep. <laughs> Pawn jump queen. Jump queen. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> jump the queen. Uh, I'll be this will have to be one of the explicit episodes for sure. <laughs> so get the pith boy. <laughs> oh pith boy. So uh, in case you don't know, we're talking what are we talking about? What is uh, the name of that movie? <laughs> the movie I think. Uh, oh History, History of the World. world. Yeah, yeah, History of the World Part One. There was never a part two. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny stuff. Um, but anyway, so I think the, the other thing too, when we're talking about coming to gaming, we came to it in these ways when we were young, but I think another way that a lot of people come to it, or at least that I've seen, maybe not come to it, but really, um, experience it and then enjoy it more is conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know for years there, I think it was actually you. Oh my goodness! I cannot believe this. Here we are in the middle of podcast. I know. I need to learn how to turn off the ring. Just unplug so, it. Yeah, I could probably do that. Um, <laughs> but you were the one who actually convinced me to go to RiverCon when that was still alive and yeah, well was, in Louisville, was which was the, uh, the last handful of years of it before Sean yeah. Steve retired. Yeah, I think it, uh, 98 or 99 is when they stopped doing it because I was because uh, I think 2000 was the first year of conglomeration with Sean. That sounds about right. So, yeah. yeah. But so, you know, going to science fiction conventions, there's always a game room and at RiverCon, the game room was a huge part yes. of the experience of RiverCon, mm-hmm. you know, and I, geez. I, half of the friends that I made, um, you know, after the first half, uh, it was from going to RiverCon, you know, and, and meeting these other people with similar interests in gaming and, and well, similar interests in everything mm-hmm. on the geek and nerdy side of, of the, the tracks. Well, that, and, you know, getting to meet some of the authors and the dealer <laughs> uh, was always nice, you know, because a lot of the guys out, you know, Terry Brooks or... Oh yeah, uh, Glenn Cook. Oh, <clears throat> see now, I, I there's a lot of them that I met because you know I used to run a panel uh, every year, an an academic panel, uh, and get the, the 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 guests of honor to get on my panel. In fact, one of my favorite stories is telling people about how I met George R. R. Martin in 1998, long before Game of Thrones was everybody's favorite fantasy show on HBO. You know, and because I think he was there the 24th year, which was the the year the year before the last year, and uh, Gene Wolfe, uh, Mike Resnick, Steve Lee, Stephen Lee, um, who else? Gene Wolfe was probably one of my favorite people to talk to though, because he's he is smart as a whip, and uh, I think he's still considered the most erudite writer in science fiction you know and uh 
yeah, those those were some good times in the game room at uh, RiverCon as well. So, but I want to go back to what we'll do here in this next segment is um, we'll talk more about the control aspect of it, the the world building, the being a dungeon master as opposed to just being a player in gaming, and uh, we'll do that right after our uh, short break here. So here we are talking today, uh, episode six, talking about uh, RPG gaming, role-playing gaming um, with my buddy Ken Dotson. And so, Ken, here's the thing is, and I'm going to be a little bit arrogant about this. I always thought, it was always my opinion that out of all the group of people that we used to hang out with, you know, if we talk about, you know, the old days, and this is like, geez, 15 years ago, even. Where, you know, me and you and Sean and uh, Joe and, and Chris and Jesse, the well, everybody. Yeah, that I always felt like when it came to creating a world, you know, creating a world to play in that, that wasn't in a D&D book, that you and I were the best at doing that. And that for me, I always felt like I was... Like my strength was always like geography, names of places, environments, and then how things fit into those environments. And yours was always semantics, details, um, and, and and even like uh, mechanics of of world building. So, I, how do you feel about that statement when I say that? I say it's pretty accurate. <laughs> Oh, good. So we um, can both be arrogant. Yeah, I just wanted to. Make I mean, it's. I want to be the, the elephant in the room. You know, when it comes to to world building, uh, I don't want to create an entire world from nothing. I want to take something that's already there and tweak it to meet what I need. See, I like I like starting from scratch. Yeah, I've literally taken at one point like a. If you look behind you there, there's that map, and a lot of times. <laughs> My science side gets involved in the process. And I'll take one of those big white whiteboards. What do you call those? Poster board. Yeah. Put that down. And then I'll take um, paper clips and I'll drop them to um, simulate asteroids <clears throat> hitting the surface during the primordial <laughs> creation of the planetoid itself and going, okay, wherever it hits, that's where seas or oceans or craters or whatever. That's how I'm going to decide where the mountains pop up and things like that. That's how I how much I got into sort of the the geography and that sort of world building. <laughs> I did it a little different. Uh, I got a fractal mapper. Oh, so that you use technology. I, <laughs> I use technology uh, so I could draw the rough outline and let the fractal modify it to a coastline. And then drop in rivers and mountains wherever you wanted them. How do how does the how does the fractal do how does the fractal do that? What I mean, what how, what does it do different that you've already done? It it smooths out the lines oh, and okay. randomizes it, so you can draw a straight line uh, for part of the coast, and then when you release the mouse, the fractal is going to make it varied so that it's not straight. And, uh, I mean, it's one, I, 
I've probably bought three of these things. The most recent one is a campaign photographer, which is high learning curve, uh, but excellent for doing stuff like so that. So it's, it's just a program that creates fractals and then manipulates the fractal. It, it uses the fractal uh, algorithms to modify what you're doing. Okay. I'll have to look into that thing because I'm not, I'm even now, I'm not aware. I mean, I, I've seen programs that will let you, you know, basically design your, your countries, you know, draw your countries or whatever, but it's still you creating the border yeah. rather than randomizing based on a fractal. I haven't seen that. So. Yeah, it's, it's, like I said, very sophisticated software. Um, I, I don't remember when I got the first one. But I just started playing with that uh, when I started designing the stuff for uh, the island of Phelan. Oh, I remember that. Ten years Jesus, of making. I can't believe I remember that. The yeah. island of Phelan. Actually, it's longer than that now. It's 20 years. Oh, my God. Current group is actually, they don't know it, but they're working it towards that. Well, if they listen to this, then, then they will. And I be like. Have, well, I did have a couple of sessions where we made lower level characters and I started them in Phelan like I wanted to originally yeah. the party because originally you're going to start there. So you had the connection, then you go out into the world, gain power and strength and notoriety, and then you get brought back to fix something that went wrong. <laughs> now, content wise, are you still obsessed with the undead? Of course. <laughs> that, used to, that used to drive me nuts. It didn't matter what campaign. I don't know how many campaigns I've been in that you run. And every single time by, by, you know, episode three, we were facing off with some kind of undead. And it's like, oh, my God, give it a, a the, freaking The name rest. of the campaign is the Great Lich. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't tell us the name of the campaign at the time. <laughs> if we'd have known that the, that the name of the campaign was going to be, this is the campaign where you get killed by a high-level undead that you have no chance of beating... Maybe we wouldn't have played. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I, the stories. The stories are just yeah, about the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the current group, they're 12th level now uh, using the modified Pathfinder rules. Um, they're beginning to meet some minions of the Lich, but they don't know it yet. What? Well, let me ask you this, since you brought up the fact Pathfinder. So we both started out with Dungeons and & Dragons, and then over time, like most people, we went, oh, hey, there's other gaming systems out there. You know, for me, it kind of went a science fiction route. I, I, I did stuff with MechWarrior for a while. Um, uh, what's the D, D20 Modern? Mm -hmm. Modern, I think it's called. That was, I enjoyed using that system. And then I think we all, a bunch of us, kind of all came discovered Pathfinder at the same time and went, holy crap, this is what we've been waiting for and really utilize a lot. Do you, um, would you say that Pathfinder is your favorite system? Because I know it's, it's mine. It's the most stable for the most part. You know, it's still got glitches in it. I didn't turn it off in the break. So but, we have another special guest and it's, uh, it's my uh, Amazon Echo. So uh, apologize for that. I'm an idiot. So, but go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, they've fixed some of the things that were askew 
uh, you know, skills and whatnot are more narrowly defined. Uh, a lot of the skills, you know, that you would think you would need don't exist anymore. Uh, you know, they've been absorbed into other things. So it makes it a little bit easier to make a character. And then they have these uh, class modifications called archetypes. So you can really further tweak what you're right. doing. Well, and, you know, I know at one at one point, my thought was that on some of the rules, um, specifically the spells, some of the spells just seemed redundant. And it's like, well, wait a minute, this is the same as that. Well, that's the that's the cleric's version. Mm-hmm. And this is the mage's version, or that's a modified version, whatever. And that always kind of annoyed me because it seems like you know, um, it. I, I think there's <laughs> there's this strange. Um, contradiction that happens in, in, in role-playing where the whole purpose of role-playing is to escape reality and experience the fantastic but at the same time if something doesn't seem realistic you're like wait a minute that's not the way that would work and and so then it's like well this is fantasy <laughs> and and i think the the nice thing about for me the nice thing about pathfinder system is that it lends itself to being pragmatic while at the same time being fantastic i usually err on the side of logic and common sense when whether or not this spell can do that and there's several spells that i would get with all my players and we say okay how are we going to fix this Mm. uh the biggest issue i had was people dying Um, and this is through through their own efforts, not mine. Uh, we've got we've got one character who I think he's died three times. Um, once wasn't entirely his fault. He just blew a saving throw, right. and he got he got innervated to death. And of course, we started looking. So wait a minute, this only lasts for so long. So he just looks like he's dead. <clears throat> you know, they did a hill check. Yeah, he's dead. He's only mostly dead. <laughs> and then, you know, an hour or so later, he wakes up feeling like, you know, he got run over by a wagon. Right. <laughs> but the thing in the raised dead, the component was a 5,000 gold piece diamond. I says, well, that's stupid. <laughs> uh, you know, because if today somebody drowns, they've been gone for five minutes, you can revive them. Right. might have to zap them a couple of times. So I right. says, okay, how about we do this? If it's within one round of the caster level, you don't need any component. Right. You just, you're, you hit them with the paddles. Okay. I think it was one hour per level. Then you have to use the 100 gold piece down per level. Right. See, this, and then the year per level, use the 1,000 or the more right. expensive thing. This, this is the detail, the semantic detail I was talking about a minute ago is is you're good at breaking down what in from your perspective of common sense would, would make sense within the world of fantasy and so yeah yeah, <laughs> Not, yeah. but oh go ahead I'm and, sorry, you know, ahead. well we did that with you know some other spells yeah. uh you know we looked at one of the most common items in the D pathfinder world for a mage are bracers of defense okay yeah yeah they use the spell shield or mage armor okay to create them 
which that's a whole other thing. Is the creation right. of magic. Right. Um, one of my players says, "Well, why do they cost so much?" I says, "Well, because that's what the formula. That's what it is." So we started. We were talking about a dinner one night. And it was like, "Well, how about you just get a bracer that can cast mage armor and shield a few times a day?" Oh, and okay. it's like, "Yeah, that's a hell of a lot cheaper." Yeah. <laughs> and then we took it from that because both of those are first level spells. They each of them gives you plus four to your AC. I says, well, you know, mages aren't stupid by default. Right. They would improve these at better levels. So right. we made an improved version and a greater version. Gotcha. And each of those would step up the defense. It's like the shield would go from four to six to plus six in a five-foot radius around you and keep all the other stuff. The mage armor went four, six, and eight. So it was a first, third, and fifth level spell. Gotcha. Gotcha. And every mage got that. Yeah. Uh, and then looking at uh, making some of the magic items, I actually reverse engineered a few of them. Right. Uh, I've, done, I've done that a few times. Yeah. The Ring of the Ram. It's like 2,000 gold pieces in the book. Yet it requires the spell Telekinesis, which to get somebody to cast that is like 45,000 gold. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... I just said, okay, if you guys are going to make magic items, find me a sympathetic connection between what you're making and what spells you would use to do it. So you do a lot of, at least now, with the groups that you've had in the recent years, you do a lot of a lot of co-oping with yeah. your with your players. So that's yeah, that's and it's you know, and it seems like every session, uh, especially if you got really good players you'll find a new way to use a spell that you never thought of. <laughs> That's, that, uh, I, you know, for me, when I when I was DMing, and I say was because I haven't DMed in uh, like four, four years, and I don't know if I ever will because I don't, I don't know if, you know, time is, I've said this before in, in this podcast, time is my enemy. Um, I don't have enough time, enough hours in the day to, to do all the things I want to do. But... Um, you know, uh, and now I forgot what I was going to say. So that's what happens when the Wolfman goes off on a tangent, and you know, I'll have two thoughts and they collide uh, and derail each other. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but I know that um, when I would create worlds, I, a big part of my inspiration was history, because everybody that knows me knows that I got my my degrees in history, and so. I was always trying to find ways to uh, take cultures from around the world and not the same. Everybody always uses the same one. There's always, when people start DMing, they always do an Egyptian one and they always do a horseman one and there's always a Viking one, right? And um, I like to take, like, um, you know, the last campaign that we did four years ago, I had one whole country that their culture was com- was based on Filipino culture because of my wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, had taken some of the elements of the Igoro tribe um, in historical Philippines and incorporated it into that. Um, when you're building your worlds or modifying um, worlds from the systems, where do you pull your inspiration? Pop fiction. Pop fiction. Yeah. I get a lot of ideas from the books I read, be it a space opera or... Uh the black company 
uh, by Glenn Cook. Uh, Is that military sci-fi? Yes, it's about a mercenary company. Okay. And, but it just turns out Glenn was actually in the military. Right. And it's, you know, the, the characters that he has, he breathes life into them. Right. And you get that from page one, which is why I enjoy that series so much. Um, and there's, I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of books that I've read. Right. Uh, TV shows. So you're, so you're trying to recreate those sort of, those the magic from that stuff that you enjoy. Yeah. Well, going going back to the undead. Okay. Hey, of course. <laughs> I I slightly tweaked vampires, mm-hmm. and I'd already tweaked undead big time uh, from an article I read in a Dragon magazine thirty odd years ago. <laughs> uh, and of course, I had to adjust their challenge ratings too, which normally I ignore challenge ratings. Uh, I just go by gut when right. I make an encounter. Uh, fortunately, I've I've only one time accidentally killed the whole party. <laughs> now, and, now hold on a second. And that was due to a quicken turning by the NPC. Oh, you did say the word accidentally, didn't you? Because yes. I've been in a few of your campaigns where you purposely killed the entire party. I, I have never purposely, <laughs> except oh, for that right, one time, bullshit. I let them kill themselves. <laughs> right. I will give them a situation, mm-hmm. and if uh-huh. if they're too this. stubborn oh. <laughs> to realize that their the option oh to run is valid, I'll let them die. Uh, my former brother-in-law, he was in a game that I was running once, and I had this awful pit, basically just raw <laughs> sewage. But there was a faint glow of magic. He wades into this thing, which was also infested with a creature called a rock grub. Of course. Retrieved the potion of cure light wounds. But lost how much other stuff? He died. <laughs> because, you know, I'm reading in the entry for the rocker, yeah, it's anesthetic. Okay, he made he failed to save. It's like, okay, they're walking off. Face plants, but yet, but yet, you're the same guy that when you're a player, are the first, you're the first one to push a button instead before you analyze what's going on. What's life uh, without a right. little sense of adventure? I thought for sure. Well, that's only one word away from what Mark <laughs> used to always say, which is, What's life without a little bit of chaos? So, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, but uh, but back to the vampires, um. <laughs> There's a series on a Hulu, I think, called The Strain. Mm-hmm. Very dark. <clears throat> I mean, it's a it's a whole other kind of vampire. Right. Uh, so I, said, I like that. And I was reading through the stuff in Pathfinder, and they're talking about these ancient vampires like the Nosferatu. And so I said, okay, well, yeah, that sounds, I'm going to use those for that. Right. And then I made stealing from... Uh, uh, well, Vampire the Masquerade, the different oh, yeah, clans yeah, yeah. of vampires. Yeah. I recreated those. I, I did always that system, uh, White Wolf, the White yeah. Wolf system. I always, I thought that was a really unique take on role playing gaming. It, it made it, it, they made it uh, a lot easier in some things, and then but then mm-hmm. 
other things were a little too complex. Yeah, so I, I made the different clans of vampires. And then I had the ancient ones behind that and created a whole society. Uh, the problem the characters had is, you know, just like in some of the fiction, not all of them lose their humanity right away. You know, they can mm. hold on to that. So, yeah, they're, they're evil. They feed off of other people. But they have their society and their rules that they must follow. Gotcha. And a whole hierarchy. You know, from a prince or princess of a city on down to, you know, the the rogues, right. the rogue vampire that just goes out and kills people for the hell of it. Well, clearly there's there's definitely a lot of a lot of places to, to pull inspiration from and to uh, a lot of places to um, ways to to go about creating that. Yeah. So. But I think uh, here uh, after uh, after this next break, we'll we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of gaming today. Of course, I may be a little rusty on this. Hopefully, you've got some uh, some better ideas. And uh, yeah, I think I have a couple. We'll we'll look at that when we come back. So uh, in the last uh, episode, uh, we did uh, episode five on uh, science fiction, and I mentioned an audible book that I listened to um, at that time, um, and then I, I didn't have the uh, author's name at hand, ready at hand. So the book was called We Are Many, We Are Bob, uh, first book of the Bobiverse, and it was written by a guy named Dennis Taylor. Uh, it's an excellent book. Uh, about a, uh, a guy that uh, dies and his consciousness is migrated into a ship which goes out into the universe and clones itself and his consciousness. And that's uh, funny and it's uh, impactful and uh, it's, it's a good read. So that's uh, We Are Many, We Are Bob by Dennis Taylor. Check it out. I just wanted to clarify his name because I didn't give his whole name the last time. Um, I, I was stymied by my, uh, by my technology. So... But we're, today we're talking about gaming, specifically role-playing gaming. Uh, we'll talk about, uh, I've got my special guest, Ken Dotson, a friend of 30 years. And um, so I know the eyebrows go up, boy, 30 years, holy crap. And so uh, anyway, um, we've talked about the state of gaming because I know you're running a campaign uh, currently, um, a, a role-playing fantasy campaign. And have been continually. I the last time I ran a game or played was at least four years ago or more. So the question is, what is the state of uh, role play role playing gaming now? RPG. Um, what are the you know? Is D and D still a thing? I guess you said like fifth ed is. Yeah, being... fifth ed is out with a update supposedly <laughs> coming out for it. A revision. Uh, D&D fortunately evolved into the Pathfinder system for the most part. Yeah. Uh, pretty much intact. You can take a like a third ed or 3.5 ed. Oh, that's item. right. There was a 3.5 too. I forgot about yeah. that. And you can port that in almost directly to Pathfinder, but it ain't going to make it in fifth. Well, fourth edition was such crap. I, I think a lot of us, when we saw... Pathfinder, we were like, oh, 
Pathfinder is what fourth edition was supposed to be. And wasn't Pathfinder created by some guys that used to work for the um, Wizards of the Coast? It's uh, possible. Uh, I never really followed the uh, the news feeds on those. Uh, yeah, I, I just, know, I just, I want to think that the at least one or two of the writers of Pathfinder had actually worked for Wizards of the Coast, working on three point five after yeah, they it, took over because they took Wizards of the Coast took over right before they're, they're the ones that put out third edition, right? Yeah, or not. Uh, let's see. You had it's been so long ago. Wizard. Let's see. Watsy. Yeah, Watsy bought D and D. Then uh, Hasbro bought Watsy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's all for Hasbro now. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's like the uh, the Tesla Twitter thing. You know, yeah. it keeps changing ownership every time you blink. Right, and the people that are impacted or interested change. You know. Yeah. And they're, you know, they are, 5th Ed is targeted like to to make it as simple as possible. In some so ways. they've nursed it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't care for it. You know, I'm actually playing in a 5th Ed game right. because, as our GM says, uh, he spent so much money on it, he's not going to play another version. He's got the the D and D Beyond website, and he's got all kinds of supplements for that. Right. Uh, but all of us can say the same thing. You know, I've got my first, second, third, three point five stuff. The Pathfinder stuff I bought. So I have all the Pathfinder on SRD. Yeah. And. And that was real. Once I found Pathfinder, I really didn't want to use anything else. When it comes, as far as fantasy goes, now if I if I were going to run like a sci-fi game, I I would probably look at some some different systems. Yeah, I did the same thing. I was wanting to run a good sci-fi, so I started combining uh, D twenty Modern, Spelljammer, Pathfinder, uh, and a couple of other things. Right. And trying to to meld it into one. Doing like a a, a, a practical approach. Yeah, it'll be a Pathfinder backbone, and I've added. I wanted the the character stats to be important all the way down, so I've added right. two stats to it, uh, which are simply appearance, and the other one is luck. Yeah. See, I always had. There were always two. Whenever I was trying to like recreate stuff or trying to modify stuff, the, the place where I always uh, hit a snag was in the in the attributes. That because it's like there's a lot of different ways to define the differences between intelligence and wisdom. There's a lot of different, and then and charisma. That's a whole other thing. I mean, there are so many different ways to define charisma. And, and how it contributes. And then the other place was spells, coming up with a spell system. You know, it's like there are so many things out there about where does magic come from? Does it come from crystals? Does it come from the void? Does it come from the weave or the nexus or the, you know, that trying to, trying to manifest a definition for magic within a game? 
is difficult. <laughs> it's actually been covered a lot in uh, pop fiction too, hmm? uh, popular fiction. They're mixing. Uh, there's a few authors that are mixing the magic and the technology, and oh yeah, yeah. trying to show that the magic is there. It's just the people that can access it are few and far between. Well, and, and then, it's uh, you have to draw it into yourself, and then store it there, and then manipulate it. So it's all force of will kind of stuff. Huh. Well, you know, there's there, there's the whole thing with magic is just technology that we don't understand yet, right? Kind of thing too. And I can see both sides of that argument because there are some things, you know, even historically, you know, it's always been mm -hmm. the higher the technology, the more distant magic. And even in sci-fi books, uh, The Well of Soul Saga by Jack Chalker, uh, you've got this supercomputer, Obi, I think was his name, who could take you, put you on a platform, and turn you into a centaur. <laughs> you know, awesome. just by changing the mathematical formula that makes up you, that, that maintains you. Right. Uh, and he could either make it permanent so that you would read other centaurs oh my goodness. or just leave it alone and you're gonna pop out a horse <laughs> but it was all you know and it was all based on this ancient race that was the first race that attained immortality and uh matter or energy to matter conversion if they wanted something they just think it, it's there see that i i, I do find it interesting that over the years, there's been a lot of systems that have been created specifically to fit with with uh, literature, mm -hmm. with science fiction and fantasy literature um, out there as well. Um, what about uh, you said? Uh, you said to me that you didn't you hadn't seen anything from White Wolf in a long time. No, I haven't. Uh, but I haven't been looking because I know you know they did uh, Werewolf Masquerade. Um, yeah, Werewolf Vampire. Uh... There was one that dealt with basically spellcasters. Yeah. And they all kind of blended together. Yeah. And I remember playing that. I liked that system. I tell you another system I liked a long time ago, back in like the nineties, that was riffs. Yeah. I always thought that was a good system. Do they is does that still has that been like revised new um, editions or is I that haven't seen is it palladium, palladium on that? Gone? Uh it may be. But I've actually mentioned using riffs to a couple of my players, and they don't want to because <laughs> they they remember. You know, it's like uh, the old game champions. You know, the battle oh, of the yeah. accountants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There. Well, we used to always talk about it, role playing versus rule playing. Yeah. Anytime you get bogged down in rule playing, it just ruins the game. Yeah. You know, the rules lawyers will always be there. You know, and it's even with some of my players will butt heads because they'll interpret something differently than how I would. Right. Uh, so we, you know, well, try to set some ground rules. It's see, like, one, it's it's Ken's game. And two, it's just a game. I used to always say at the beginning of a game, I'd say everybody's got to realize that in this world, I am God. What, what I say goes, this, you know, whether whether it's whether you think it's practical or realistic or not, this is you know I have final 
say on the ruling or whatever. There's always going to be the one that will try to argue because they don't interpret it the same way. <laughs> I know. Uh, so it, here's what I find interesting is I know in, in the 80s, um, not only was there a popularity in RPGs just because of their innovation, but also because of the co controversy around them. And then I think in the 90s and the 2000s, it was kind of spotty. But I think, you know, when new systems came along, like when White Wolf came along, that kind of reinvigorated the RPG scene, mm -hmm. right? And then, and then it kind of faded again. And I haven't heard of anything coming down the pike that kind of reinvigorates it. But yet I do find... I, I see, you know, I, I'm all over social media now um, for various reasons, uh, whether it's you know, TikTok, YouTube, um, Facebook, because I'm doing a lot of promoting stuff. Um, but I also, I, I, I find genuine, the whole reason why I do this podcast is because I find a genuine interest in pop culture. And, and I never want to be out of touch with whatever the, the current pop culture is. But I've, I've seen a lot of people talking like there's a whole, you know, um, RPG talk, you know, on TikTok. There's there's this subgroup of people that are Warhammer 40K players and D&D players and that sort of thing. So it seems like the popularity is still there, but I, I haven't other than that, I really haven't seen anything. What as you've continue to to run things and have to gather resources what, what do you see as far as you know the popularity of rpg and and the the industry what it's doing to you know promulgate itself it's it's out there uh some tv shows you'll hear mention of uh you know my dungeons and dragons group when i was younger even in books uh it's being mentioned you know just flat out hey remember Ooh, when you know that, that kind of makes me think, you just reminded me of something that um, there are a couple of, uh, there are a couple of celebrities that mm -hmm. mention that they're players of stuff. And oh, then, yeah. then you get a, you get a boost in like, did, didn't Vin Diesel, didn't, wasn't he a big RPG uh, player? Ben has done it. Uh, Campbell? West, the, the guy that played Wesley Crusher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Will Wheaton. Yeah, well, we he's, he's oh, got yeah, a YouTube yeah. thing That's where right. he and his he buddies. I mean, every week, uh, Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I was going to say Bruce he's, Campbell. He's big in it. You know, he, matter of fact, uh, there was a convention I was at where he was a guest, and they were doing a live action of Bristol County Junior. And uh, Bruce went off script. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, I think I saw something on the Graham Norton show over in the UK, a clip where. Henry Cavill, who played uh, Superman in the, the latest iteration of Superman, he's like a big, I think, Warhammer 40K I mean, player. It's all over. And I think he plays World of Warcraft online, too. Or oh, yeah, there's all kinds. Uh, the internet has made the world so tiny. Yeah, it has. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, you go onto pretty much any MMO site. Right. And there's no telling who you're going to be going against. I know. You know, it could be some 13-year-old kid in the, you know, the heart of Hong Kong. Or it could be Superman. <laughs> yeah, or it could be Superman. It, it could, you know, it could be porn stars you know, that have their own team in Battletech. 
Oh. I mean, you never know. Dude, you're making me you're making me think of jokes I, I can't do on here. <laughs> you're the one that brought up before about Asia Kurt or not Asia, uh, some some porn actress that was on World of Warcraft what? years ago. You told me Did that. I really? Yes, I mean I'm did. not I'm not denying it. Yeah. I'm sure I did. Years ago but... you told me that. Like, really? That's... What does she play? <laughs> oh, you know what? I think it, I think you're right. It was Asia Carrera. So, but yeah, that was that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So, and it, it just, but it just goes to show you that it's it's gotten drawn from every level of society. Yeah. Well, I think that again, it speaks to the the. I I think there are some people that might be like, "Is gaming really pop culture?" And I think yeah, it really is because it does. I, I think it it hits people on a lot of different levels and a lot of different generations. And, and it goes back to the, you know, at, at the core, the core of what it is, is, is the same as what it is for a lot of other pop culture. It's a form of escapism. It's a form of uh, entertainment that pulls you away from other things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It lets you forget about the world and all the chaos that's in it and do something different. Yeah. And it, instead, concentrate on the chaos that that. Uh, that that Ken, Ken, Kindred, what the heck was Kenny, uh, Kenny O, he used to play, what was the, the race that he used to play? Oh, Kenny Axley? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he had his dwarf general hat. No, 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 the other one, the other one, the, the ones that like the steel. The, the Kinder? Kinder, right. Yeah. A Kinder bard. Now, you want to talk about chaos, that is chaos incarnate. <laughs> so, on that note, <laughs> I think we will wrap up uh, this episode of uh, High Culture with Low Friends. We've been talking about gaming. We hope you've enjoyed this, and uh, we hope you'll uh, hit that subscribe button. Um, if you want, we're still working on, um, we're actually starting to work on that T-shirt we mentioned before, where I think we're going to do the Air Quotes T-shirt here in the near future. Uh, we're still trying to get uh, some uh, social media uh, sites that you can uh, respond to us. On uh, in the meantime, if you want to send us any any email, you can um, send email to wolf.holloman at gmail.com. That is my email. You can also look for stuff about us on uh, both TikTok and Instagram. Just look for at Gray Jedi Wolf, and uh, we'll go from there. In the meantime. Um, for my buddy Ken Dotson, say goodbye, Ken. Y'all take care. Stay cultured, my friends. You've been listening to High Culture with Low Friends, a weekly odyssey of everything pop culture. High Culture with Low Friends is copyright and produced by Wicked Wolf Media Art Studios. Be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a moment.